Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm stoked to have the gorgeous Lucy Quick from Thrivalist on the podcast today. Lucy, how are you? Hi, Danny. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really well, thanks. Oh my gosh. I've been, I think we've been following each other's Instagrams for, for some time now. And you're also a sober coach, a sobriety coach who yes. also yeah runs courses and things like that. And I think it's just beautiful to for us to be able to connect and and share about what we do and help spread the word, which is awesome. So yeah, welcome. Thanks, Danny. You know, something I love about this space is how we're also collaborative and supportive yeah. of one another. There's not that kind of tense, competitive feeling that you get in like the corporate world or in other spaces. So yeah, it's great to be able to be here and and talk about what we what we both do. Yeah, absolutely. I think when we're when you're I guess working from your heart space and you're working to sort of with help to help other people, we've all got the same goal in mind. And what we want to do is is just help people. So, you know, it's just nice to encourage each other and absolutely. Yeah. So um yeah, again, thanks for coming on. And obviously just, you know, like everyone else on this podcast, I'd love to know how your journey with alcohol started. Mm. How old were you when you first started drinking? So 
my first drink, I think I was 14, 13 or 14. So I was quite young. And I used to um, steal Sambuca from my parents, um, you know, the, the liquor trolley. Yeah. And God knows why I went for the Sambuca, but I went for the Sambuca. And very kind of quickly around that age, 14 onwards, I was binge drinking most weekends. And that was not unusual for my peer group, not unusual for where I lived. I grew up in Bayside in Melbourne, which um, is a beautiful part of, of, of Victoria. It's a great su- suburb, but, you know, our weekends were spent with us going to someone's house or going down. We spent a lot of time on the beach, getting drunk at the beach foreshore or car parks, train stations, those sorts of lovely places. And mm-hmm. um, so I started drinking pretty heavily from the age of 14 and mm. I was just one of these people who actually should never have drunk alcohol. And from the get-go, I knew that it didn't really agree with me because I was the one and sort of going from 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, these really crucial years where brain development is still happening and it's so important that you work out who you are and what you want to be and do and um, your values and all those sorts of things. And I was... I very quickly worked out that when I drank, it made me feel better, like more comfortable, more relaxed and and safe. And I think I drank obviously because I had, um, I was drinking for a reason and that was because I was quite anxious. So my social anxiety and feeling awkward in my skin. And I think a lot of teenagers go through this. It's not an unusual story. Absolutely. But not having anyone there to sort of say, let's deal with this. And and I'm not blaming my parents, but, you know, I didn't have that, that person or, or, or parents that were sort of trying to nurture that side of me so that I could figure out who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. So, so yeah, very quickly as into my drinking career, I would black out and that's just the way that I drank. And I wasn't someone who vomited and I used to think that was a bad thing and it it probably was a bad thing because I didn't have an off switch. And so it was really normal for um, for me to start drinking and just be that person who was crazy. I had this other personality, like a quite extreme, wild, eccentric, messy, um, you know, drunken personality and very different to me sober. And so those teen years were spent really getting quite messy and blacking out most weekends. And, you know, again, it really wasn't uncommon and a lot of a lot of my peers were doing that. So it wasn't like an isolated thing. However, I was the one that didn't have the off switch. I was the one who blacked out and, and also made terrible decisions, way worse than any of my friends. And this was kind of the way my drinking continued, Um through my 20s, the difference was in my 20s was we started using drugs. So we started using cocaine and ecstasy, if we could afford it, (laughs) ecstasy and speed. And that actually really helped because I didn't go crazy on drugs. I was actually quite calm and and loose, like lucid and fun. And I was like the centre of the party. And I really found 
I really enjoyed that space and I didn't really use alcohol as much. Um, so yeah, that, that was like my twenties were spent, you know, I had a successful career as well. So it wasn't like I was ruining my life, but it was definitely, um, affecting my mental health. So I spent a lot of my, my, my weekdays feeling really depressed and coming down and hating life and anxious and not really doing anything to, I guess, better myself. And then the weekends would come around and off I'd go and party for, for two nights. I think that's really common though, isn't it? Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so common. And, you know, you say this, but at the same time as this, I was, you know, I did finish a, a degree and then I went off and, and started a career. Um, but looking back now, I, I was pretty unhappy and I, I didn't really follow my true, my true dreams, my true calling. I sort of went off in this random direction, working in marketing, corporate marketing roles for businesses that I, I didn't really like and, you know, really unaligned values. 2008, I decided to move to London and I just split up with a, a boyfriend and, you know, I wanted to escape everything and this is my fresh start. So over I went and didn't know anyone. Well, as it turned out, I, I, I did know quite a few Aussies over there, as we all did. And I just I felt like that part of my life was behind me. I felt like I was this new version of myself. I was excited about the future. Um, and what happened in London was that um, we didn't t- take as many drugs. So there, I mean, I'm sure there was drugs around, but for some reason I fell into a group that just drank heavily. And so that messy, crazy side of me really came out um, when I moved to London and I met a guy, an Aussie, of course, from the same suburb as me because, you know, super, super adventurous, not. And we ended up living together and he was a big, big partier drinker. So that was what I sort of did again. I found myself um, getting into all sorts of messy situations and doing really regretful things um, you know, th- you know, the things that I used to do were, were quite outrageous and just, you know, throwing, I just remember like throwing this giant garbage bag off the top of the roof of this tower that we were all on and thinking it was hilarious. And it was like, just, just really dangerous things and flirting with my boyfriend and my boyfriend's friends and, um, doing just things that you'd never do as a sober yeah. person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was London. I did a lot of traveling as well um, and had a great time and then moved back um, 2011 and was single for a little bit and then met my now ex-husband. And again, he was a really big drinker. So our relationship um, started off with us drinking quite heavily together and then um, similar, exactly the same patterns of just getting really blackout drunk and doing things I regret. He really enabled my drinking because it allowed him to also do the same. So there wasn't any regret. I mean, I felt regret, shame and anxiety and I hated myself after doing the things that I was doing, but he would make me feel okay about it. He would say, it's all right. You know, this is, it's everything's fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And so that was great. But at the same time, it was, I really needed someone to hold me accountable or myself. I needed to hold myself accountable. I really didn't see that there was a way to, live without alcohol it had just been such a big part of my life totally especially if your partner is enabling you as well because they don't want to have to look at their own stuff Mm. and so 
exactly you're, you're so spot on that when if you're sort of saying to your partner fuck I went too far last night or blah blah, blah but they're saying you're okay because really if they if they really wanted you to stop or if they really wanted you to look at yourself they have to look at themselves too and then that causes you know they don't want to do that so they keep encouraging you yeah totally that makes it really difficult not to blame anyone else because we don't want to blame no. anyone else but yeah that does certainly makes it really hard Yeah, because you're right. You need someone to actually, I guess, kind of agree with you or make you accountable. Eventually, I think, I'm sure you've got to get to it, though, where you get to the point (laughs) where you, yeah, I'll shut up. I've been going on and on and on. It's like the never-ending story. I um, Yeah, so, look, I I definitely don't blame my ex, but we we drank heavily together. When I got pregnant with my first child, I, I genuinely thought, this is it. You know, that, again, that part of me is, in the past, I'm now this new, um, wonderful woman. I'm going to be a mum. Life's going to be so different. And I talked a little bit about this on, on an interview with Vic Vanstone the other day, but very quickly, six weeks after giving birth, I just fell back into those old patterns. And I really drank because I had anxiety. So the number one sort of reason for my drinking was to to soothe that anxiety. And I was also highly addicted. I was stuck in this trap of, um, of needing it, really relying on it and thinking about it from four, 5 PM every day and waking up at 3 AM with the racing heart and the sweaty palms and the anxiety and never going to do it, never going to do it again. And then Mm -hmm. the next day it would all kind of happen again. And so, yeah, after my first child, that continued. It it actually really progressed. It got a lot worse and it was in between having her and my son, which was a four-year window, that it, it got to its worst. And that was when I, I, I remember um, waking up one day and knowing that I'd driven the car the night before. I didn't have any kids in the car. It doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it better. It was horrible. And just being like, what am I doing? This is now getting to a point where um, I could hurt someone, kill someone, be arrested. And it was just so many close calls, so many close calls with stupid things, walking home from a bar on train tracks Um, with my baby at home. You know, I need to be responsible mother and I'm out wild and, (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, my real sort of the, the rock bottom and the, the moment. So there was this period of time after having probably about two years of me knowing that I had, there was something wrong with me. And I tried, I'd always known there was something wrong with me, but knowing I've got a drinking problem, like actually coming to terms with that. And I went to an AA meeting with a friend and didn't connect with it, still was in denial. I'm definitely not an alcoholic. I just don't have an off switch. So I didn't understand that there was actually this big alcohol use disorder spectrum and you don't have to be an alcoholic. That doesn't actually matter. It's how is alcohol affecting your life? And so my rock bottom moment happened over Christmas in 2018 and I was so miserable. I was in such a miserable headspace just in general. I was just... My, um, my marriage was was pretty pretty bad at that stage, pretty toxic, a lot of arguing. There wasn't much love in the house. I had a six-month-old baby and a four-year-old daughter and I was drinking like a fish, <laughs> just to make it all so much worse, just drinking. I, I think I was drinking like a bottle, a bottle and a half of wine every day, plus more if, if I was out and... Um, wow. 
Yeah, so it was quite a lot. And how did you manage a baby when you're drinking? I don't know. I don't know. Were you breastfeeding? I I drank really fast. Um, So I'd often have my my drinking windows would often be two or three, two hours, and then I'd just go to bed, pass out. Um, Right. Yeah. So relate to that. Yeah. Sorry, were you breastfeeding? Breastfeeding. So do you know? I I so with my daughter, I breastfed for about five months but between I did drink when I was breastfeeding her from yep. six weeks on but I was doing the using the, the safe app I mean it's pump and dump and doing all, pump, that stuff. all of that yeah. stuff yeah I remember doing the same and then there were times where I would probably breastfeed after drinking a little bit and regret hate it and regret regret it the next day but that mm-hmm. was very few and far between times that I did that but then with my son I really wanted to breastfeed him and I wanted to do it without drinking but unfortunately he had a cow's milk protein allergy so I we ended up in hospital it was quite bad and this is when he was six weeks old and this is when I started drinking again because I was forced Mm. to not breastfeed and it all started again um Mm. and so yeah so it kind of progressed over about a a four-month period so it was quite short really um were you getting scared at this point were you starting to look at your drinking and go this is a bit scary or were you just in it and not thinking about it? Yes, scared. Was I scared? I was scared, depressed. I felt really trapped. I hated myself. I hated who I was. I hated Mm. the things that I'd done. I felt like crap. I was 30 kilos overweight. I mean, I'd had a baby, but I was massive and just bloated. And, yeah, I actually mm. just was so miserable. <laughs> I look yes. back at photos and think that poor woman. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I wasn't helping myself. I was doing all of the wrong things. And so, yeah, I think was I scared? It wasn't so much a fear. It was just it just this feeling of I'm never going to be out of change, like that, that trapped feeling. Yes, um, yep. And so... Building up to this Christmas 2018 and drinking like I was, feeling like rubbish, fighting with the husband and just stressed. Like it's amazing how much stressful life is when you're a heavy drinker. Like everything is stressful, isn't it, compared to when you get sober and realise, well, actually, it's all quite manageable. Um, and it was Christmas time and I had a massive Christmas Eve I can't really remember. I was at home, that's right, on my own, of course. My, my my husband was there. We'd had a massive fight and I sat outside on my own and drank and smoked ciggies, which is what I used to do, and talked to people on the phone. That was sort of normally how my drinking was towards that, that time, which is really sad. Yeah. And I can relate. I was just like, yeah. this is it. <laughs> Chain smoking, drinking, um, and then the next day, had just felt like absolute rubbish of course Christmas day and went off to my sister's for family lunch and walked in and basically just started drinking from the moment that I got there at about 10 30. Wow and it was it was there was no um there was no consciousness to my drinking it was very um destructive and I'm gonna get smashed in my mind that was what I was thinking like fuck this, my life is shit, my husband's an asshole. I fucking hate my life, I'm just going to get wasted. And that's pretty much what I did. And I remember my mum coming up to me and my family are not 
like my family are really, um, they're wonderful people and they don't get messy. So, and I'm not saying, you know, it's not like a normal occurrence for us to get messy on a Christmas day. It's just not normal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my mum came up to me and she's like, I think you're getting a little bit too drunk. And she never really normally said anything to me. Um, and anyway, I actually don't remember from about midday on. Wow. And, um, <laughs> That's an early blackout. I literally don't. I have like flashes, a very early blackout. And then like there's there's video footage of me um, singing and people laughing at me but like kind of just laughing at me like she's a mess. And then um, having I just have these flashes of, of, you know, having a big fight with my my husband on the street and going oh, home. No. And he literally, I know, and this is Christmas night with my kids. Like thankfully they don't remember, thank God. And then I we got home and I decided I wanted to go to a party. My friend was having a party and she'd mentioned it like a week before and said, come after, come after Christmas lunch with the family. And it had, you know, triggered in my memory at that point. And I said to my husband, I'm going. And he's like, no, please don't go. And I left and I left. I had no shoes on. I remember being in this, this big moo because that's the size I was, this big, Kmart Moo Moo. Nothing wrong with Kmart or Moo Moo's, but it's just this vision I have of myself with no <laughs> shoes on. <laughs> no shoes, Kmart Moo Moo. All I had was my phone and off I went in an Uber. And I don't remember any of this, by the way. This has all just been told back to me um, afterwards. And then I went to this house. Apparently I was just out of control. I fell over and broke their front fence. And this was, mind you, at about five o'clock in the afternoon. And I was verbally abusive to the the partner, the, the, my friend's husband, and he, her whole family was there. Her mum was there. Oh. Anyway, so it wasn't a party with heaps of young, crazy mental people. It was like a family gathering. Everyone was, you know, wrapping up a beautiful Christmas day and here comes Hurricane Lucy. And it was... Um, Anyway, so that was kind of the night. They basically put me straight back in an Uber and sent me home. Oh, my God. Hang on. How fucking embarrassing. (laughs) It doesn't get, like, it doesn't. Anyway, so the next morning, wake up to, so I used to wet the bed as well. Oh, like every time I got on pissed. Yeah. And it was, it would happen a few times a week. Like, this was not a random thing. So wake up. In my spare bed upstairs, don't know where why I'm there. Bed's wet. Okay, that's normal. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God, what happened yesterday? And then I look at my phone and it just flashes with an, a message from Uber saying, your account has been deactivated, contact Uber um, urgently or something. And I was like, oh. and I, I, I couldn't, like I knew that I'd done something bad in the Uber. I knew that I'd either been abusive or I didn't vomit, so I couldn't really work it out or I don't know. I still don't really know to this day. But just that moment, (laughs) lying in the spare room, covered in urine, looking at my phone, banned from Uber, I'm 35, I've got a baby, I've got two beautiful kids, divine, gorgeous kids, and I'm just absolutely fucked. And it was like a real... This is really, really bad. So 
I think that that wasn't the final straw either. So (laughs) (laughs) that was like the first, that was part A. And then a few days later, so that was Boxing Day, obviously. A few days later, my friend was having I've okay. got a question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Firstly, how's hubby about all this? Like, like were you in trouble when you got, you know, like tell, well, tell never, me a bit more about how you felt that and what went I on that morning. I felt disgusting, but yeah. he was, so there were, so there were a couple of people that I'd ring in a situation like that who would, oh, it's fine, babe. Everyone got wasted yesterday. Da-da-da, don't worry oh, about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, mm-hmm. I love them dearly and I did it to them as well. It was like a mutual thing. So they were those those ones. I actually rang the girl whose house I'd been at and she just was like, don't stress because um, I was like, did anything bad happen? Because I always had this, this fear that I was going to do something so bad that I was never going to come back from it. And yeah, I didn't. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd had, I had in the past done some pretty bad stuff, but at that time I didn't. But it was just, it was still so inappropriate. I actually yeah. don't speak to that friend anymore because her husband, um, her husband had just kind of, that was it. That was the last straw with him. So he didn't want me in their life anymore. So her oh and I no. aren't friends anymore. Yeah. Oh no. Do they know that you're doing this now? The podcast you're... right now? Oh, no, 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 like... they do know that I'm sober. Yeah. So the, she, her and I stayed friends for about a year, but I could, everything had shifted with the friendship because we were quite coupley friends with the two couples and, I had I felt attention and I felt, for instance, little things like when when I asked to catch up, it was never at her I never went to her house anymore. And I could I tell I could tell that he just didn't like me anymore. And it wasn't that he was disappointed. It was like I just don't want her in our life anymore. So Ouch. Yeah, yeah. It was, mm. you know, and I took it, it was sad because she wanted to stay friends and in hindsight, maybe I should have stayed friends with her because she's a really lovely person but I was my ego was bruised and I cut ties anyway so hubby was again he would make me feel better like he was a bit angry like you were a mess yesterday you know you you nearly ruined Christmas and but he would never actually hold me accountable or I mean no one did no one made me feel sat me down and said, this is out of control, you need to stop. And I remember driving to, we, the next day I had to go and see all of my family again because we were going to um, my family farm to stay with my family for a week. And I remember the anxiety driving up there. I had to face my mum and dad and I felt so sick. But no one mentioned anything and it was like it was all swept under the rug. But my sister did say to me, um, have you and this was just a tiny little comment, but it's amazing how powerful these comments are. Have you ever thought about just not drinking at all? And I said to her, you know, I took that. That was hard to hear. No, what do you mean? Oh, I don't have, I'm not an alcoholic. I just don't have an off switch. That's what I always used to say. I don't, I'm not an alcoholic. I just don't seem to know how to stop. I need to work out how to control it better. And she, um, Anyway, there was, I just, I'll talk about one more thing that happened before I really started to consider not drinking. And it was on the 27th of December. So not Boxing Day, but the next day, or maybe the day after, um, a friend was getting married. And so I'd had this massive Christmas day. I was actually still a nervous wreck from it. It really fueled my anxiety that Christmas day. And I lived in a state of like, 
I was actually worried the police were going to come and knock on my door because of whatever happened in the Uber. I was worried that I'd done something so bad at my friend's house she wasn't telling me about and I was never going to be able to get over that. So the anxiety, you know, you live in this state of um, just it's a horrible feeling. And I remember going to this wedding and because I was still really shaken up from my experience, in my mind I'm like, you have to moderate today. Like just have three champagnes and drink heaps of water, enjoy the food, dance, go home to bed to your babies. I had a babysitter looking after my son and my daughter was with my family in the country. And, of course, within an hour I was in a blackout. So um, then that night, that was the last time I ever got drunk and that was I, I you know, did a whole bunch of really horrible things that night. I went back to an after party. People, yeah, it was just a Hurricane Lucy, an absolute mess again, embarrassing myself. My friend sent me home and then I walked back to the party and then she no, had to send me didn't. home again. Yeah, so, and she sent me home again. Oh. I was walking around the streets with no shoes on again. You were a real handful. <laughs> I, was, I was uncontrollable. No oh. one could control me. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Anyway, so that next morning I was like, right, this is absolutely fucked and and I think the fact that I had specifically said to myself today you are going to moderate and you are not going to get drunk and hadn't passed that test at all in fact I'd failed miserably and it was even worse almost well not worse than Christmas day but nearly that was what I needed to realize oh my god I actually just can't drink like it's not that I can try and moderate I actually just can't drink and that was a real awakening, a moment of like, oh, um, yeah. So I talk about this experience because it actually was a really important part of my experience and I really needed to go through that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it is often those those moments. And I think what's important is that moment when you have that realisation that actually I just can't fucking drink, you know, and we stop making the deals with ourselves and stop, you know, just really realizing when it really hits home yeah yeah I think where we grow up in this society where it's our fault if we can't drink there's something wrong with us and you if you can't drink then poor you and it really keeps us in feeling shame 
and, um, you know, continuing in that cycle of self-sabotage rather than feeling empowered to just step out and, and get the help that we need. And so anyway, so the, the wedding and then my sister, again, that's when she said that comment, have you ever thought about not drinking? And that's when I was like, I remember a tear rolling down my cheek as she said that to me. And then she told me about a podcast where she'd heard Ruby Warrington and um, I listened to the podcast and Ruby Warrington was just talking about feeling empowered to not drink. It should be alcohol. You don't have to be an alcoholic. It doesn't actually matter. Is it holding you back in life? And I'd never heard it before, which is crazy now because I feel like, you know, it's we hear it every day. But I had never heard this message before. And so I downloaded Ruby's book and I read it on my phone, which I've never done before or since. I read her whole book in a day on my phone and that New Year's Eve, I had like a little ceremony and I wrote out my goals for the year and I actually had my last glass of rosé and um, and that was it. The next day, the 1st of Jan 2019, I, I didn't drink. I never haven't had a drink since. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Holy shit. It is great. Wow, that's amazing. So at that time, did you know that, so when we stopped it was for 12 months? So did you know that was it for good or were you like? No. So uh, something that really helped me, I bought myself a journal and I wrote down in the journal my reason for quitting drinking and it was alcohol holds me back in life. And I wrote out these like 10 goals that I wanted to achieve that year. Um, and one of them was a month of alcohol, <laughs> doing 30 days. And I, I genuinely thought a month would, would cure me. Um, I, I knew that I had, a, this was the first time I'd ever taken a full month. I think maybe I'd taken a few weeks here and there, but I, I knew I had a problem, but I thought let's take a month. And what I really quickly realized was because I discovered this world of, of quit lit and podcasts and, um, educational content about alcohol and alcohol use disorder, I started to become obsessed with learning about it, which I'd never done in the past. And as I started to learn, I started to realize that this was never going to change. This was the way that I was going to be probably for the rest of my life. Um, and so I think around, I, I got to the month and I wanted to continue. I started to feel really good and have all of those beautiful pull factors of sobriety. And then around six weeks in, I went to an AA meeting because I felt really disconnected. I couldn't find a community. I didn't have the community is so much, you know, there's so much more now than there was three and a half years ago. And it was in my in my first AA meeting that I actually had a big aha moment and realised I am one of these people. I am an alcoholic. I thought I was an alcoholic. I thought, I don't know what I think now. I don't know if it really matters, but I, I needed to see that I was I was exactly like them and I wasn't different. And it wasn't just that I couldn't control it. It was, I could never drink. And so that was around six weeks, I feel, um, was the time when I, I realized this was forever. And it, I've never, ever questioned it. I've never thought maybe I'll try it again or maybe I'm, I'm good to try it again. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm okay if I start drinking now. I've never questioned it. So it's definitely a, a forever thing. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Mm. That realization of I am one of them, whether or yeah. not there it's, it's like someone at an AA meeting, whether it's someone binge drinking on a podium every weekend that can't stop. We're not talking yeah. about people that can stop, but yeah, I think if we don't have that off switch, doesn't matter what the label is, but if we fall under that category of I can't stop and it's affecting, affecting me, 
in a negative way, then I'm one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And just, I mean, you grieve, you have a moment of, wow, my life is going to be so different, but very quickly. um, It is unbelievable how quickly my life transformed in a really wonderful way. And over the the first year, it was just so much jam-packed full of self-development. And I became like obsessed with this space, self-development space and reading and um, meditation, getting into exercise. I lost 30 kilos. I was the healthiest, you know, I keep getting healthier and healthier every day. And um, 12 months in, I finally got the guts to leave my marriage. And so I left my husband and met a, a new guy and I'm in a really happy relationship now. We've been together for nearly two years and he is also sober, which is just completely coincidental. Oh, that's um, awesome. I know we went on Tinder <laughs> and we definitely didn't meet in AA. We went on Tinder and we are both sober and it's fantastic. And we have such a fantastic life together. Healthy, That's happy, so good, wonderful life. Someone needs to, I was talking to Victoria about this. Someone needs to start sober Tinder. Like I think there is one. Is there? Is yeah, there I think there is. Ooh. What's it called? Maybe, I don't know. I, yeah, I think there's probably been a few that have tried, but yeah, maybe we should, maybe that's our next thing. <laughs> it's such a big growing space. So oh, it makes it's sense. Huge. Oh, mm. absolutely. Um, God, so amazing. Like what a great story and what a great transformation. Tell yeah. me about early days. Like, you know, when we're first in it, when you're in that first six weeks, how did you fight the cravings and how did you fight that, that mind battle? If, if, that yeah, showed up for you. It did show up for me. And I was lucky enough to, to, because I had fallen into that space of learning. So I think when you don't educate yourself and you just try and what, you know, what they refer to in AA as white knuckle through, you're often not growing as a person. So you're getting through a craving, but you're relying on willpower. And we know that real willpower runs out. And so it's not a long-term effective strategy. Um, so for me, I really felt my, the way that my cravings would hit. So there were two different types of cravings. There was one which was um, a very a, a physical, oh, my God, I need to drink. Um, you know, I, I feel a bit stressed. I'm overwhelmed. I need to drink. And that would often just be a process of, of riding it out over a few minutes and using um, like a plate. My favorite tool is to play the tape forward. So really thinking about what will happen if I do have that drink, how differently my night will go. It's not going to be one drink. It's going to be a bottle and a half and I'm going to be right back where I started. So using um, those tools. And then the second type of craving that I would get was a trigger. And it was actually like, I'm sure you can relate to this, but it was a really physical, emotional, deep, painful trigger. And it would be when I'd been triggered by someone close to me and it was often um, it's all to do it's all to do with insecurities and our, our shadow selves, isn't it? So that type of trigger I would I found the best way to move through it was to literally have a massive cry and let it all come out and then sit down with my journal and um, write about what I'd learned about myself and why mm. I was feeling this pain. Um, and over time, those triggers happened, you know, once a month and then once every two months and once every six months. And I don't get them anymore. I never get those sorts of triggers or or cravings, you know? Yeah. There's really something in that, 
feeling the trigger and like you said like to sit and journal and get to know the trigger like understand it and that's amazing what you did to say what can I learn from myself about this and then the more that we understand it and can kind of feel into it it loses its grip so it's not such a big scary thing anymore it's actually something that wow I can I understand this a lot more and once I understand it I can soothe it and I can hold it in a different way and then it becomes bearable and then mm-hmm. next time it comes up, it's not so full on. And, and so until you get exactly. to that point where you're like, I'm okay now. We still get yeah. triggered, right? But it doesn't have the same emotional intensity. It really doesn't. And yeah. I think yeah. we have spent, I had spent my whole life running away from feelings, not facing stuff. Totally. And yeah. to start feeling stuff in those early days is, it is an emotional roller coaster. And it really took me, six months and that's why I I get it took me six months to start feeling more steady and stable emotionally um before yeah before I felt like I really was in control so and everyone's different so it can often be that that's just like a a couple of weeks or some people still feel like that after a year and there's not really a you know a set time frame but for me it was it was a good six months of up and down and emotional Mm -hmm. roller coaster yeah. Were you getting therapy or were you getting any kind of extra support? I think I, yeah, I was seeing a psychologist at that point. And like I said, I was just obsessed with the self-development space. And in fact, that's when I trained to become a life coach. So mm-hmm. I actually found that process really therapeutic in itself. Totally. Like training. every learning that you're in. So I'm studying with Gabo Mate doing compassion inquiry. Oh. It's incredible. And every, like anything you learn, the same like with any any course I've done, you learn so much from it about yourself and it becomes so more about your own journey um, and it gets so full on. I was just getting in class with someone before and just, we're just talking about how intense like all these emotions are coming up and she's like, oh, fuck, it's just exhausting. <laughs> but it's such a healing thing, isn't it? And so the more it's you work on healing thing. bettering yourself and learn and learn and learn, um, yeah, you, it's just incredible and it's transformational. Yes. And I was the same. I, and so was my husband, Ash. We, we wellness binged and exactly like you, every, I didn't let a day, not a day went past where I didn't listen to Wayne Dyer. Everyone knows who listens to this. I bang on about Wayne all the time. I love Wayne Dyer. But I listen to Wayne and listen to Oprah podcasts, you know, her super soul yeah. Sunday things. And that would lead me on to someone else and someone else and always it. listening to someone inspirational. Yeah rather than I stopped listening to the news. Mm. So I haven't listened to the news for years and years and years. I take off all the news apps off my phone. I don't engage with that negative messaging and the mm-hmm. fear messaging. And, yeah, I just, it started to, you know, I would change the way I was, I was thinking, you know, I would start to have a different outlook oh, and really? learn to love who I was, you know, rather than I'd hated myself for so long. Mm. from all the drinking and the waking up just going you fucking idiot and oh isn't it it's just such a better place to be oh Oh. such I can't I mean there's no comparison really Mm -hmm. and when you get to experience like the physical I guess like for me manifestation only began when I stopped drinking I felt Mm -hmm. like I suddenly could really I had this higher self-worth and if I wanted something it would you know, I'd be out of quality. And, and so being able to live in this life of being so in tune with who I am and so, I guess, self-aware, I, yeah, it's just so much better. So much. There's no comparison. 
<laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, and just just to um, dial back um, a little bit there, just for people listening, it's that's a really great tool that if you're you know if you've got a journal or a notebook, anything, when you when you are feeling triggered to to actually put pen to paper and go, okay, what's this all about? And I always said, you know, where are you feeling it in your body or you know, what's the story? What's the real story that you're telling yourself? Perhaps it's going along with it. And is that an old familiar story that you've, that's come from a long time ago or where does that come from? And really ask lots of questions about it. And, you know, you, you do get the answers that you need and you can, yeah, just like I said, understand it more. So that's a really useful tool. To, it is. Yeah. Amazing. I still use that. I still journal, mm-hmm. not every day. I try to a few times a week and, it's just a really, yeah, it's a great way to tune in to what's going on on a deeper level. Totally. And it's, yeah, it's also great to look back and reflect. I still look back at all of my journals over the past few years and flick through them. And it's it's great to see how far you've come. That's a really powerful motivator to continue on the path. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's fantastic. So you were doing that kind of stuff. You're playing the tape forward. You're starting to get that positive feedback as you're kind of losing weight and feeling better about yourself and getting the confidence, Mm. I guess, to change your life, which is amazing. How were your relationships? Did they change with friends? And obviously they've known a very different person. They did. And a lot of them, so so there's my kind of my besties that haven't changed. And, in fact, a couple of them have jumped on the bandwagon and are also sober, which is amazing. Yep. Uh, My sister also stopped drinking. She stopped for a year. She's she's sort of dabbling in it now. She's sitting on the fence not knowing where to go with it. but, well, obviously my, my, my relationship, my marriage, you know, it, it was, it was great because it, it, it just, not great, but it was, it just broke down. There was nothing holding us together anymore. So I didn't have that anxiety. I didn't hate myself. I actually started to love myself and it just was so clear that we were not supposed to be together. Um, my relationship with my parents has never been better. It just has gotten better and better and better. And I actually think that, they're actually really proud of me, even though I'm not following in a path of, you know, a really successful marketing career. I'm doing something that's helping other people. And I think that, I think they're proud of me. Um, mm-hmm. my, there is some friendships that didn't last. Mm-hmm. And I think when you stop drinking and start to really put yourself first and get, I guess, a little bit more, um, selective with the type of people that you hang out with you realize okay so maybe you aren't really bringing me joy anymore and, and maybe this is not a, a healthy relationship so there were a few of those friendships that I needed to well they sort of organically just shifted anyway mm-hmm. um and I just think the people I hang out with now I just quite aligned to me and mm-hmm. you know healthy people who have a positive outlook on life and goal-driven and, you know, wanting to success and happiness in their life. So, yeah. I think they're the, definitely the people that you want to <laughs> to have in your corner for sure. Yeah. 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 People that have got something a bit more, asp- not, not just aspirational, but I guess an optimistic view, people that are more aligned with our values. Oh. Makes yeah. such a huge, you know, it's. I, I would find it pretty much impossible to be hanging out now with people that I perhaps was before not oh no I still see those friends before it's just different and I we definitely don't spend as much time together anymore and that's not a judgment call it's just that it's not aligning for me anymore and that's okay yeah look you do 
and and this is something that I talk openly about because I think it's important for people in early sobriety to set their expectations accurately. But you, for me, there have been groups that I no longer get invited to the dinners um, yeah. because a lot of people find find it hard to have a sober person at the table because they want to get shit-faced. They don't want to feel like someone's sitting there not drinking and, and watching them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been some situations, not many, but there's been some where I've realised I wasn't invited to a couple of events because they were, you know, revolving around alcohol. So there are things that you won't get invited to and it can hurt, but at the same time, you just have to accept it and also, I guess, be grateful because you probably don't really want to go anyway. So, Well, that's just going to say, like I've, <laughs> I've at times said to Ash, oh, fuck, that's fucking rude. We didn't get invited to that or blah, blah, blah. And then he'll say, but do we really want to go anyway? <laughs> I like, know. No, but. but <laughs> you still want the invite. We still want the invite, but no. It, they, the invites, in some cases, they do stop with some friendship groups and that's just the way that it is. But you've got to allow that space for the new people to come through, the new friends who Absolutely. are more aligned and, yeah, bring you more joy. Yeah. So obviously life has changed incredibly for you and then, you you know, then you've started Thrivalist. Thrivalist, yeah. And so you've got a partner in Thrivalist as well. Tell no. us a bit about that. Oh, I thought there was two. I did. I just bought her out of the business a couple of weeks ago. Oh, so it's all very okay. fresh. Okay. So Thrivalist was, I mean, Jen and I both had this idea of creating a community. And this was before, I mean, now I feel like there's a lot more stuff out there, but this was literally before there was really anything in Australia that um, an online community for women. I think both of us had experienced AA and hadn't felt like it was really up our alleys and we wanted to create something online and so Thrivalist started with a really fantastic sobriety course and it's eight weeks um, of incredibly powerful content and heaps of videos it's really rich in content and it actually really works a lot of most women who do the course and throw themselves into it have fantastic experiences and Mm long-term sobriety so it started with a course and um, a community and it's just sort of expanded from there so We've supported over 3,000 women. So it's wow. pretty massive. When That's we launched, amazing. I know, it's so great. And it's it's just so amazing to be able to, I guess, to know that you're making a difference in other people's lives. And it's by mm. being vulnerable. And you, you you know this too because you do the same thing, by sharing our own stories vulnerably and and allowing women to not feel that shame or that stigma and, you know, that can often be a huge barrier to getting the help that they need or, mm-hmm. or just stepping over that line and admitting that there's a problem. So, mm-hmm. so Thrivalist has been around since 2020 July, so coming up to two years. So I did just buy Jen out of the business, so I'm running it solo. Wow. And yep. it's just a really beautiful, rewarding business it's a great business and it's just a beautiful community of women so we support women or anyone who identifies as a woman or a female and yeah it's a membership platform with courses and coaching calls and all of the stuff that these communities have and it's Mm -hmm. yeah it's just wonderful amazing yeah well isn't it amazing what can be born out of like I was saying to you before we started the call like what can be born out of our own suffering and our our really hard times and you know, and we've got to be so grateful for the, all that, you know, that Christmas that you went through and that, you know, that thing on Uber and covered in we and, you know, being so <laughs> grateful for that because you're going to be sitting right where you are in this this moment helping 3,000 
women amazing <laughs> if that hadn't have happened and that's something to celebrate isn't it it really is something to celebrate and I often I mean I don't know about you Danny but sometimes I have these like these pangs of oh my god what have I done I can never undo all of the sharing <laughs> all of the sharing and the vulnerability and mm-hmm. this is all out there now my kids will know all about this if they want to but yeah. it's 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 so important that we do this because it's by you know with us sharing this we're able to help 10 times as many people as ourselves so it's really really important work and i think yeah anyway yeah you have those vulnerability moments don't you where you're like oh but it's yeah. all part of it absolutely i think ash does more cuz i've always been an oversharer <laughs> but <laughs> my husband not so much <laughs> so sometimes he's like do you think you're a bit too far in that one i'm like oh. no <laughs> there was a, um, I'll just quickly share there. Was, so with that Mamma Mia article I wrote in 2021 and it just went crazy because Apple picked it up and then it was Apple news story of the year. And it was, wow. it was amazing. It's I don't so know. How, awesome. It was, it was obviously just really relatable, but the daily mail called me and said, Oh, we love that story. Can we do a piece? And I'm like, you know what? Go for it. Anyway, it's like this train wreck. You know how they just like create these incredibly, train recce stories and it was so not accurate and they used these you know anyway so that's probably the only story that's out there that I'm like oh damn that's never that's gonna be out there forever but oh well it's yeah yeah it's pretty funny yeah 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 (laughs) pretty familiar with um media stuff and them changing the story (laughs) for us yeah especially um, the daily mail yeah, exactly. But yeah. um, oh, just amazing. And look, if anyone reads that story, I haven't read the story, but I'm sure that, you know, it might even help to, you know, bring someone else to you. So all publicity is good publicity. Yeah, well, that's say. exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's just amazing, Lucy. I think, you know, it's incredible. It's not, it's also inspiring for other people that are listening to this. And, you know, like I just said before, you know, celebrate these rock bottom moments and be really grateful for them to everyone listening, because you never know where it's going to lead you, you know, you Absolutely. could end up and, and who you're going to end up helping. You never know. Like, so celebrate in it and don't, you know, try and drop the shame, see if you can turn it around and have gratitude because you never know what's going to come out of any situation. Right. Absolutely. Wow. So Lucy, I'll put stuff in the show notes if people want to contact you or if they wanted to find out more about any of your courses or what you do. They, will they go, what's your website? Thrivalesssobriety.com. Thrivalesssobriety.com and Insta? Insta is Thrivalist Sobriety. Easy. One more thing I want to share, Danny. I just read a research report um, that was published a couple of weeks ago and one in five Australian women right now are struggling with their drinking and that's mm. post-COVID and it's women in I think it's like 35 to 55 age bracket. So I guess... It's just really important for anyone who's listening who is worried about their own drinking to know that actually you're not alone. One in five of us is struggling and it's a huge thing. So that sh- I hopefully that will help to release some of that shame and realise that totally. you're not alone. It's, it's yeah. a big thing right now post-COVID yeah. with that older, not older, but 35-plus demographic. Oh, um, nearly everyone that I am coaching lately or that's joining my challenges or whatever, and you probably have this as well. Yeah. Every, nearly every single person is like, 
I was, I was okay. Like I, I definitely had a binge drink. Then COVID hit. And I hear it all the time, but then COVID hit. Uh-huh. Then the lockdowns happened and it just spiraled out of control yeah. for, for people. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely not alone there. But also not yeah. alone in that millions of people out there have successfully kicked the alcohol totally. habit. Mm-hmm. You know? So if millions of people around the world can do it, so can you if you're listening to exactly. this. There's always hope. There's always there's challenges, there's courses, there's AA, there's there's free resources. There's so many ways in which you can get help. There's an amazing community. Victoria Vanstone's Cuppa, amazing. Yeah, so great. So there's great. so many different platforms and communities. And I think the more people you can connect with, the more communities you can be involved with, the more, you know, uh, Johan Hari, the opposite of addiction is connection. So really getting connected with people and, um, yeah, and just giving it a go and make a change. Absolutely. It's better. It's so much better on the other side. Last question, Lucy, if you could go back to 14-year-old you and sit down with her and have a conversation, what would you say to her? I would just tell her, I would just ask her, what, what do you want? What do you need? What's important to you in life? Get curious, explore. I think, yeah, I would just have that conversation with her and allow her to 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 feel nurtured in a in a healthy in a healthy way yes and maybe also tell her alcohol is definitely not a good idea (laughs) yeah it's not going to nurture you in the way it's certainly not going to it's just going to hold you back yeah yeah absolutely oh lucy quick thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story and your wisdom and it was just really nice to connect with you today Thank you so much, Danny. It's such an honour to be here. Thank you. Hey, see you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.